Good morning, everybody. Well, we're set, right? I mean, we've got all the theory down. We're now on uh, the 42nd day to a joy-filled life. We've had 40 days of, of work, of study, of prayer, of meditation. So we're all set now for the rest of our life, right? If only life was that easy. So I say the theory of Christianity is not the hard part. It's living it out. It's been a while since I uh, did a study that I found so personally exciting and convicting at the same time. Uh, Coming up on almost 27 years as a Christian, 25 years in the ministry. And yet it seemed like every day I'd read that chapter in the book and I'd go through the verses and I'd, you know, hear the comments and you start doing the homework and go, why is it such hard work to keep my mind focused on positive things? And I don't think I'm the only one. And as we end our 40-day journey, the last thing we want to do is a year from now go, oh, yeah, that was, that was really cool. A year ago, we, we looked at being more joyful, but we don't have any lasting change. And that's something that I'm committed to, of wanting to stay connected to the changes that have been made. Now, I don't know uh, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you knew you were disconnected, you knew there was communication difficulties going on, and you so badly wanted to overcome them to get connected. But I, I remember uh, 20 years ago, in, in a month, uh, we started a deaf ministry in the San Fernando Valley. And at that point, I had seen a deaf person from a distance, but I had never interacted uh, with them. And I remember when we started our deaf ministry, we had one guy in our singles ministry that was an interpreter for the deaf. And we didn't have any plans for a deaf ministry, but we had somebody come to church and they were deaf. So, of course, even though we have highly qualified sound engineers, that does no good for a person who's deaf. So I said, hey, buddy, I heard you can sign. Can you interpret for this guy? And he's like, sure. Well, then after the service, he said, well, I'd like to study the Bible. So buddy's like, well, what do we do? We're like, well, let's study the Bible with them. And that all started, and we had a few baptisms, and then we're like, man, we, we need help. We don't know what we're doing. And so 20 years ago, we started a deaf ministry, and that's when the Lotan family moved out from Washington, D.C., and, uh, you know, other people moved out. And now God has really done amazing things. But I remember in the early days doing Bible studies where the entire appointment, unless Buddy was there, would be me writing sentence and questions and then handing it across the table. And then they would write their response and then give it back. And then, they, you know, it took a long time. Uh, I remember buying a TDD machine, which, you know, you probably don't know what that is, but it's like a little typing box that you would put a phone on and you'd type and it'd be like, kind of sound like a fax. And so you could type to a deaf person on the other side. 
And I remember having, I would bring my machine to counseling appointments because that was a lot quicker than writing with a pen. And then I learned how to fingerspell. But imagine having conversations in Bible studies where every word that you say, you spell individual letters. I was like, man, this is really slow. I got to learn how to sign. And so I said, all right, going to learn how to sign. And the deaf are very, very patient. And they're grateful that you want to learn their language. And I would just make up all kinds of new words and butcher the language (laughs) and all that. And I remember, anybody in here from Bakersfield? No one's claiming it. Okay. All right. Just want to find out if I, because I was going to say sorry to you, not because you're from Bakersfield, but because of the story. So I, I was on the campus of CSUN and I met a, a, a student who was deaf. And, you know, so I asked her in sign, where are you from? And she spells out Bakersfield and I go, oh, what's the sign for that? Well, this is the letter B and she does this. B in your armpit. Okay, the deaf have a lot of creative names. I'll go with that. So from that point on, Bakersfield. So now I'm living life, and now with the deaf ministries up and rolling and all kinds of great things going on, and I am at this uh, fundraiser uh, for the deaf. It's a nationwide event. There's deaf movie producers, deaf actors, actresses, some of the most high-powered nationally you know, great deaf people. And I'm there representing our deaf ministry, and I'm, you know, and I'm, you know, we're, Cheryl and I, we're not afraid to talk to anybody, so I'm going around. I meet this guy. He's the head of an IT for a huge corporation, and he's deaf. So I'm signing with him, and I'm like, oh, where are you from? And he spells out Bakersfield. So I'm like, oh, you're from Bakersfield. <laughs> And he got so mad at me because that's not the sign for Bakersfield. To this day, I don't, I, does any, what is the sign? It's this, B? This is way better than this. But anyway, yeah, it's like, you know, I insulted him because I told him that his city was like being your armpit. And he was mad. You know, and I'm, I'm trying to reach out to this guy. I want to invite him to church, you know, and all of a sudden this great rapport we had just ended. You know, and I tried to backpedal, I'm sorry, you know, and you don't, I'm like, no, this deaf person at CSUN told me that was the sign. It's not, you know. Uh, You know, and I think sometimes that's the way life is. You are doing your best to connect, and you're like, yes, I'm giving my heart, I'm stepping out on a limb here, I'm trying to establish that connection, it feels kind of awkward, I'm a little insecure, but I want to risk it because the connection is worth it. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, what, what's going on here? This isn't, you know, I'm not where I thought I was. The situation is totally different than I thought it was. And in an instant, God just kind of redefines your perspective and your parameters. I want to start over in Genesis 28 and read an example of one of those situations. Genesis 28, it's a, it's a story about Jacob, and he had a lot of family issues going on. You know, when you deceive your, your father, 
to get the oldest brother's birthright, then, you know, uh, the blessing, and then you bribe your brother for a bowl of stew to get his birthright. You know, you just had a lot of family tensions. And so he's now leaving, and he's running. And it says, he lay down to sleep, and in verse 12 of Genesis 28, it says, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. You know, Jacob had his life's perspective. And then he lays down for a sleep, and he has this incredible dream, and God says, hey, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless all peoples through you. I'm going to be with you. And he wakes up, and he's like, wow, this place is awesome. And I was not aware of it the problem was never with the place the problem was not with the presence of god the problem was not with the blessings that god had for him it was not a problem with the journey there was only one problem it was jacob's awareness of the situation Now, I think all of us think, man, I would love to have a dream where God says this to me. And you know what I think? In a very real sense, the last six weeks have been exactly that. God has been trying for you and for me to communicate the same thing. I'm with you. I will bless you. I've got a great plan. Trying to say, hey, I'm here. You know what? What's been my challenge with the 40 days? It's not the theory. It's my awareness of the situation. I mean, what really changes from day to day in my life? My life is fairly much the same perspective. It's my view of what's going on. One day it seems so easy to be joy-filled, and the next day it seems such a battle. Is my life all that different between one day and the next? No, it's perspective. And God will use different situations. He will use people to try and speak to you, to try and register an awareness of a clear perspective. Say, how aware are you? I want to spend the remainder of our time over in Psalm 89. 
And we're going to just study out this passage. Not all of it, but just one, one section. Psalm 89. Because we get the keys to stay connected. In Psalm 89, verse 15. says, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness. For you are their glory and their strength. And by your favor, you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. You know, I want to walk through this. He says, blessed, joy-filled, happy, content. Their hearts, their minds are what we're looking for. He says, blessed are those who have done what? Learned to acclaim you. Now, that word learned, that to me is a real blessing. Because just like learning sign language, you're not born with the knowledge. And sometimes we get discouraged when we start an endeavor and then we go, well, this is harder. Or I had two really good days, then I had a bad day. What's wrong with me? No, you're learning. What are you learning? It says learn to acclaim you. You know, I thought I knew what that word meant, but I looked it up anyway. And it says applaud and welcome. Say, well, we're supposed to acclaim God. That means we applaud him and we welcome him. Wait, so, Rod, are you saying that the psalmist is making the point that if we really want to be joy-filled, that it's going to boil down to our relationship with God? Yes, that's exactly the point. That you can't try and take the practicals of the study and think, okay, hey, thank you. Now I'll do it on my own. Appreciate all the pointers. I've got enough practicals in here. You know, I'll just keep repeating the homework. No, true joy is found in being connected with God. And so when you're anxious, when you're stressed, when you don't have peace, when you don't have joy, good place to start your relationship with God and say, where's it at? Are you aware you know, I'm not sure that Jacob would have complained about his life before he had that dream. But in that one amazing dream, God completely took him to a whole different level of thinking. Now, see, one of the greatest dangers is if life is going fine, but we're surviving on our own strength, is we can chalk it up to our wisdom, our hard work, our great education and go see Look at what I've achieved. I'm good. I'm pretty righteous. You know, I'm not doing the really bad things. And so, why do I need to depend on God? It says, our joy is directly connected to God. 
to those who have learned to acclaim. You know, you got to commit to the learning process. We like quick fixes, don't we? I mean, I do. And we know the one-liners that go with it. I remember a math teacher, Algebra 2. You know, he was one of those that said, you don't have to show your work. You can just put the answer. But if you get a wrong answer, I can't give you any credit for anything because I don't know how you achieved it. And he would say things like, I mean, if it wasn't for lazy people, we wouldn't find an easier way to do things. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we can kind of like things like that. That's right. And we, we don't call it laziness. We call it efficiency. <laughs> Why do I got to read the whole novel if they have cliff notes? Because cliff notes does a much better job getting the point across. I mean, what is the deal with the turtles crossing the road in Grapes of Wrath? If you've read Grapes of Wrath, you'll know. You know, let Cliff Notes explain those things. And so we like efficiency. So we come to church. What's the short way? What's the quick answer? How do I fix it now? Okay, I haven't been joyful, but I want to be joyful now. So just tell me what I need to do now. And then the writer of Psalms goes, yeah, you got to learn this. And we're like, oh, gosh. How long does learning take? (laughs) Is a week enough? (laughs) You know, right when you think you've learned a certain stage of life, you enter the next one and realize just how ignorant you are. Um, Learning is a lifetime process. So you've got to commit to the journey. It says, they've learned to acclaim you. Remember, this is still under, these are the the joyful people, the blessed people. It says, who walk in the light of your presence. You know, walking implies movement, living life. This is not, they sit in the chair all day long of your presence. Now, they're active, they're energetic, they do something. But it's in the light of the presence of God. Now we're talking about awareness. Say, how can you walk in the light of a presence if you're unaware of the presence? You know, I remember when the kids were little and like really, really little and hide and go seek was a great game. And they had this theory of if I can't see you, I must be invisible. And so, you know, they'd put a blanket over their head and crawl to the middle of the room thinking no one can see them because the blanket's over their head. You know, and you say things like, wow, where's Luke? And he'd giggle under the blanket. (laughs) You know, I think sometimes we're like that with God. We live life and we think we're invisible. And God is. Like, yeah, I see you. (laughs) But one of the greatest blessings 
that requires hard work is being constantly aware of the presence of God. Say, how would you speak if God were next to you all day long? What would your family life be like if Jesus was, you know, renting a room from you? What conversations would happen? If Jesus was your boss at work, would your work ethic change? What if he was your professor? Your high school or junior high teacher? You know, we ask these questions, and yet the reality of the situation is just like Jacob. God's presence is always around us. Now, whether or not we're aware of it doesn't change the truth. In our worst moments, he's there. In our best moments, he's there. But what needs to change? Our awareness of his presence. He says joy is linked to that. We walk in the light of his presence. You know, it's good to spend the first part of every day walking with God, praying, reading your Bible, being connected. But if that's the only connection we have with God during the day, can you imagine a marriage where you said, honey, we will talk first thing of the day and then no further communication the rest of the day? You'll have to wait till tomorrow. You say, well, that wouldn't be very good communication. No, and neither is it with our God either. You know, I don't think at work you should stand up in your cubicle and lift holy hands and cry out to God. Your coworkers might not appreciate your zealous praying. But you can have lots of mini prayers all day long. But if we could get this down, if we could be aware of the presence of God all day, every day, how would it change our life? Be huge. He says, they rejoice in your name all day long. You know, to rejoice, it's you're, you're praising. You're just you're fired up about him. You're excited. It says all day long says they exult in your righteousness. You know, and I think this carries a twofold thing. One, you're fired up about the character of God and who he is. You know, you're not going to be excited about God if you have doubts about his character. Sometimes it's just good to spend an hour thinking about things like God is perfect. So what does that mean? It means he cannot change. Because there can't be any improvements. He has no flaws. He's never unsure of what to say. He never gets too angry or not angry enough. He perfectly balances judgment and mercy. Like there's no wrestling that goes on. You know, when things happen, God doesn't have to sit up there and go... I just want to sin so much. But I can't because I made the universe. Like we just can't even relate. What would a day like be like in our life without a single temptation? 
to sin. Not one. God, God lives every day that way. He knows everything. There will never be a fact that we tell God, and he goes, wow, I did not know that. God would be amazing at that. What's that uh, phone trivia game? Trivia crack, yeah? God is spectacular at that game. He's everywhere all at once. Seven billion people could all pray at exactly the same time. And he could register and communicate with everyone. He knows you. He made you. He cares about you. He knows every victory. He knows your sorrows. He knows what makes you happy. He knows what makes you sad. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows if you're texting or replying to an email. He knows if you're doing that right now. Yeah, I see some guilty souls out there. He knows. He's amazing. It's like, we got to think about God. Why? Because the more you think about God, the more fired up you are that He wants a relationship with you. What a privilege. Like, if we understand that, nobody needs to tell us, oh, you need to come to church, or you need to pray, or you need to read your Bible. You're like, well, of course I would, because a God like that wants to be connected with me? Of course they exult in your righteousness. So you're fired up about the character of God. But I also think the flip side of it is, you know, when you're fired up about somebody's moral character, you have the same in your life. I want you to imagine or, you know, think about if you've ever been in the presence of somebody that you highly respect, you know, whether it's an athlete or, you know, the boss's 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 boss comes to town and you're in charge of having lunch with them for whatever reason your company did that. But you're like, you're, you want to be on your best behavior. You want to do whatever you can. Why? Because you're like, wow. I feel so honored that, that I would want to be in sync with them. See, when you are fired up about the character of God, it motivates you to be righteous in your own life. It says, you are their glory and strength. You know, what makes you fired up? You know, there's a lot of things that, that can get us excited. But if something is your glory, that's like just your highest prized situation, possession, goal. You know, it's just not one of like 80 things that you like. It's at the top of your list. So you want to rob your joy? Put something other than God at the top. Spouse, they'll let you down because we're all human. Spouse was not given to you to be God. God is supposed to be God. The next career promotion, put, put that at the top. Or a certain educational goal, 
Put that at the top. You will rob your joy in a heartbeat. You know, even kids. I love our kids. I love kids. But if you put them at the top of your life, if that's where you get your glory from, you, your joy is in big trouble. So you want to be blessed? You want to live a joy-filled life? Make God your glory and your strength. You know, to make something your strength means that that's, that's your source of energy, your source of power. You rely on him to make it through and to accomplish what you do. You know, we live in a society that prizes wisdom and wisdom's good. Success, popularity, hard work, all those things are really good. But if we make those our go-to in the area of strength in our life, our joy will fail. Because we're not always going to be wise enough. And there's certain situations that hard work does not fix. He says, you are their glory and their strength. And he says, and by your favor you exalt our horn. That our victories, our value, come from God. Say. So Do you look to God for those things? You know what I found is as I went through the 40-day journey, the more I changed, the more I looked to God. And then I realized it was actually the other way around. That the more I looked to God, the more I was changing. I think the writer of Psalm 89 knew exactly what he was talking about. Well, how are we going to sustain the change? How are we going to do it? So stay connected. Stay connected to God. Verse 18, he says, Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord. Say, so what do you do with the shield? You protect and defend yourself. When life gets tough, when you enter in those challenges, those tense times, say, so what, what's your shield? Is it God? You know, if it's God, you handle it different than if it's our coping mechanism. Say, well, how do we cope? Well, we can become angry. We can become distant and check out. We can become critical. We could be cynical. We could become faithless. You see, it doesn't take God to do any of those things. But when we go to God and say, all right, God, this situation's tough. You're going to get me through. You're going to be my shield. I'm going to do it your way. There's a confidence that comes with that. You know, God is in your corner. God wired you with a massive capacity for joy. But he says, you've got to be connected to him to experience it. So what decision will you make? 
There's not a one of us that wouldn't be excited about a joy-filled life. And as we've made changes and having so many different conversations, people are saying, man, the, the series has been awesome because it's like I've needed it so much. We don't want that to end. We want the learning to continue. So what's it going to take? Commit to the journey together. Oh, yeah, the 40-day readings are done. But the lifelong learning is in front of us. Say, will it continue? Keep refreshing the ideas, you know, kind of like a booster shot. You know, this is just one of those topics that's every so often, it's just good to go back and ask, hey, how am I doing? So that we can make sure we're aware. Let's get outside perspectives into our life. Do we welcome them? Because other people can see us in a different light. We can think, I am so joyful all the time. And then the people around us go, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> yes, I am. You just can't see it. <laughs> you have a joy vision problem. It's really your issue, not mine. Like, no, outside perspectives are, are good. And then remember what you've learned. So you have a system. Post-it notes, note cards, reminders set up in your phone. Say, whatever it takes. Why? Because it's so worthwhile. We don't want the journey to end. Forty days, we've just begun. Say, where it goes from here? Oh, that's going to be up to you and God. God's right there. Oh, the dream, the vision, the blessings. Oh, he's saying the same thing to you every day that he said to Jacob. But Jacob was clued out. Over the last six weeks, hopefully you've been clued in. God is still speaking. He says the joy-filled life is yours to have. Let's stay connected. God is the key. Let's walk in the light of his presence. You say, you have a bad day? So what? Make the next day a good day. It's a learning process. You're not born with the knowledge. Say, so we're going to work on this for weeks and months and the rest of our life. To live the life that God has called us to. God is our shield. He's our strength. We serve an amazing God who's wired us with a great capacity for joy. Let's put these things into practice. Let's get connected. Let's stay connected. And let's live the joy-filled life. Let's stand as we close in a final song.